First and ten, toss to Walker, goes right side, has a little running room, Parkinson out front. Here comes up the sideline, he's on the run, 40, down to the 30, are they going to catch him? I don't think so, 15, 10, 5, touchdown, Seahawks, 74 yards. 7.03 on a Monday, happy Monday everybody, Halford Brough, Sportsnet 650. That call you just heard, the clinching score for the Seattle Seahawks in LA against the Chargers yesterday. Ken Walker the third, not the first, not the second, but the third. K nine, K nine, K nine. It's a good nickname. He's number nine, and his name is Ken. Doesn't like Kenny. It's either Ken or Kenneth. Thank God for football. Both the BC Lions and the Seattle Seahawks. BC Lions booked a home playoff game Sunday, November sixth, one thirty p.m. At BC Place against the Calgary Stampeders, Nathan Rourke might play in that. He's going to practice this week. The Lions are still determining their plan with Nathan Rourke, whether or not he's going to play in Winnipeg against the Bombers. Uh, Head coach Rick Campbell made some pretty smart comments. He's actually, we're going to check the weather update for Winnipeg. It's key. Because I think there was some snow in the prairies over the weekend. Might have snowed in Calgary. It could be too cold for his foot. Well, you don't want to put him in a situation where the field might be, I don't know, snowy or just at the very least slippery. You don't want to put him in that situation, but the Lions do need to prep for this playoff game. And their preference, obviously, is to have Nathan Rourke as the starting quarterback or at least available to them Mm -hmm. against the Stamps. So that's something we're going to have to monitor all week on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. The Seattle Seahawks are helping me cope with the Vancouver Canucks. You mean future Super Bowl champion Seattle Seahawks? <laughs> the Seattle Seahawks are first place in the NFC West. I'm looking back on their season now, and I am retroactively upset at the losses to Atlanta and New Orleans. Four and three. They're four and three. Could have been six and one. Could have been six and one. Uh, Geno Smith has obviously been a great story. Um, the rookie class, Kenneth Walker, the third canine, the running back has been a great story, but I think the real reason I'm starting to get excited about the Seahawks team and not even that, like, oh, they're going to maybe like make some damage in the playoffs or, or get to the playoffs. Like the defense has stepped up. The defense is creating turnovers. Mm-hmm. They started to turn it around against Arizona. They're not missing every tackle. They're not anymore. missing. That's a pretty big thing. Yeah, they don't have like Taysom Hill just running at will on them or whoever running at will on them. Uh the defense was again good against the Chargers yesterday, although Justin Herbert didn't look very good. No. How many how many balls were batted down by the Seahawks defensive line? 6 or 7 in the second half it felt like. Uh the Seahawks have three more games. Before their bye week, they've got the surprising New York Giants coming to Seattle next week. The Giants are 6-1, and one, but we're going to talk to Mike Tannier about this. I don't really know how good they actually are. Then they've got a trip to Arizona to play that same Cardinals team. And then they go to Germany, yes, Germany, Duh. to play a very struggling Tampa Bay Buccaneers side, and then they've got their bye week, so we'll see where they are then. Yeah, it was a great, great weekend for the local football squadrons. Kudos to the BC Lions. Jason mentioned it's a home playoff game booked. 
That's the first one since 2016. That's just the second home playoff game the Lions have had in the last 10 years. I mean, they, they had one in 2012, they had one in 2016, and now you get another one. So that's great. If Nathan Rourke can play, that's awesome as well. Uh, kudos to you know Vernon Adams and Rick Campbell and the entire staff for not letting this season fritter away and get this home playoff game with the possibility of getting Rourke back. Really making the best of a bad situation. You could say maybe the same for the Seattle Seahawks right now. I don't think they necessarily thought that they would be atop the NFC West after week seven, but they are. You know why? Because they went out and made the best of the situation that was presented to them. Yeah, Geno Smith was going to be your quarterback. Yeah, people were laughing at the quarterback competition. I mean, hey, look, you want to talk about adversity? This team lost Rashad Penny for the year. They might have lost DK Metcalf for a long time. That was one of the bummers in L.A. was that Metcalf got carted off and did not return. But they just kind of kept rolling. Marquise Goodwin, who I literally had no idea who he was prior to this year, (laughs) got two touchdowns on the weekend. They just kind of keep putting up results. We we have a good mic on the line. I want to shift a little bit now and do the NFL picture at large. Who better to do that with than our NFL insider from Football Outsiders, our Monday morning quarterback, Mike Tannier here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Good morning, Michael. How are you? Greetings from Philadelphia, where there are fireworks going off last night, and I honestly forgot why for about uh, 15 minutes before I realized, oh, yeah, yeah, the Phillies are going to the World Series. I was going to say, I noticed that there was lots of viral videos going around of city workers greasing their poles. That's the the streetlight poles, just so we're (laughs) clear. Did you see this as well? Like, it's everyone put this out there. They did. What? They did. They were greasing. That's what they do. They don't want people climbing the light poles, so they grease them. Yeah. This is the thing. Philadelphia fans like like to climb the light poles. They're climbers. Yes. For championships. There are a lot of climbers here in Philadelphia. And when that fails, they go up to awnings and they try to hang from awnings. You know awnings are made of cloth. You watch Bugs Bunny cartoons, you know. Uh, uh, you're somebody saying falls through the awning. Yet Philadelphia fans try to, like, lean on them and chug beers from them. So <laughs> we get what we deserve sometimes. Okay, we just finished talking about the surprising Seattle Seahawks who at 4-3 and three are atop the NFC West. If not for the New York Giants, they might be the biggest surprise in the NFL this year, but I think that is the Giants who are now at 6-1. and one. And you wrote about them in the walkthrough at footballoutsiders.com. Uh, the New York Giants versus sustainability. Uh, walk us through this because we're going to see the Giants next week when they take on the Seahawks. The record looks great. Is there something behind that 6-1 and one record that maybe suggests that this record is a little bit more inflated and better than this team actually is? Well, going back to the Seahawks to preface this, you know, the Seahawks are winning more games than expected, and they're scoring a ton of points. So if you look at the Seahawks, like, well, why are they winning? It's like, well, we're surprised Geno Smith was this good and the offense was this good. They're scoring a ton of points. So you yep. understand why they, the Seahawks win. The Giants aren't scoring a ton of points. They're not necessarily stuffing opponents on defense, and they're, like, usually trailing pretty heavily in the, in the first half. So it's like, how are they winning these games? And, and I came to the conclusion, like, when have I seen this team that just comes back in the fourth quarter and it looks like magic? Last time I saw it was Tim Tebow. It was Tebow mania. It was, it was you know, 10 years ago, those Broncos teams that kept winning. And, like, how did they even win this game? Why were they still in the game in the fourth quarter? What happened? That's what the Giants look like right now. They, they play tough first half. They play tough in the third quarter. And then all this goofy stuff happens in the fourth quarter. That's not a detriment to them, but that's what happens. And they win at the end. So can they keep doing it at this level? No. Uh, could they lose to the Seahawks? I think that's a, a fascinating, intriguing matchup. They certainly could. 
are they probably going to make the playoffs at this point? Yeah, they're six and one. Yeah, they can lose a bunch of games and still wind up nine and eight and end up being a wild card team. Okay, so part of the reason that the Seahawks are atop the NFC West with just a four and three record is that it's been really disappointing campaigns in Arizona. Uh, it's been a bad, you know, Super Bowl hangover for the Rams. And then there's the yeah. San Francisco 49ers who, on the weekend, <laughs> I know it's Patrick Mahomes, and it feels like that offense is just starting to figure out things without Tyreek Hill more and more and more every week. But 44 yeah. points on the road as a team that predicates itself on defense, you never want to give up that many points. You wrote in the walkthrough that uh, the, the 49ers have discovered that Christian McCaffrey, who they did acquire via trade and played on the weekend, won't solve their biggest problem. What's their biggest problem? biggest problem is Jimmy Garoppolo is the quarterback and they knew that was a problem because they tried to get rid of Jimmy Garoppolo they they moved on from Jimmy Garoppolo like six weeks ago the whole logic was hey you know what if the Trey Lance experience has begun let's go in this new direction hey we might have some growing pains this year but this is about you know the future the short-term future and then Lance gets hurt and Garoppolo comes in and you know they get a win against the Rams they get another big win in there and suddenly they shift gears like, hey, we're in win-now mode. The Super Bowl is, is today. Let's get Christian McCaffrey, and let's see if we can like really supercharge this, this offense. And it, That was a big mistake. They spent a lot of draft capital, second, third, fourth-round picks to get McCaffrey. They're going to spend a lot of money on McCaffrey next year and the year after that. And it's all to prop up the same Jimmy Garoppolo. And, yeah, you're right. The, the Chiefs scored a lot of points. The Chiefs reminded the 49ers that the defense, while it's very good defense, is not that great. Mm. You know, they've had too many injuries. They don't have the, the, the horses in the secondary. And no matter how many yak guys can catch screen passes and turn them into 15-yard gains, Garoppolo is still going to get sacked in the end zone. He's still going to throw a lob into the end zone, other end zone for a, a touchdown the other way. He's still going to make these mistakes no matter what. You're not the team you think you are. You shouldn't have done a mortgage the future kind of trade for Christian McCaffrey. Uh, maybe, not maybe, the most shocking result of the weekend, without question, Carolina 21-3 to over the Tampa <laughs> Bay Buccaneers. Carolina came into this as a 13-and-a-half-point underdog and just absolutely laid the boots to Tom Brady and the Buccaneers, who look like an absolute disaster right now. I love this in the walkthrough, the Tom Brady regret index. This is this is terrific because it seems like every week it's like, I really shouldn't have done this. I really shouldn't have come back. And I thought last week was about as low as it was going to get. And then yesterday happened. It was a disaster for the Bucks and Brady. It, are they going to miss the playoffs? That's hard to say because it's the NFC. They would miss the playoffs in a heartbeat in the AFC. And they're in trouble if they're going to start losing to the Panthers because the whole – premise of, oh, they're fine, they'll make the playoffs. It's, oh, you're going to sweep the Panthers. They're holding a flea market for all the players. You're going to sweep them. You're going to beat the Falcons. Now that's not guaranteed anymore, so nothing is guaranteed. So I have a feeling they still make it. I have a feeling they could still win that division potentially. They probably should because it's a terrible, terrible division. But, yeah, the, the regrets are there. The team is not what you think. And you're looking at a Brady who's having the Peyton Manning final year year. But he don't have the Broncos defense on the other side. He doesn't have Von Miller out there winning games for him. He's out there trying to sort of like uh, manufacture enough points to survive, and it's not working. And it's it's that's why the regret index is there. It's because he came back for this. He chose this. Probably should have retired in a blaze of glory rather than this particular season. Hey, Mike, I'm going to pack pat myself on the back here because uh, I nailed another lock of the week. I am on fire what? right now. Uh, the Dallas Cowboys were my lock of the week, minus seven <laughs> over the Detroit Lions. Yeah. Uh, this had a lot to do with, you know, the Detroit Lions. Um, yeah. And I have to say, so I watched this game because I was like, 
I had some self-interest, not that I was like, oh, Cowboys, Lions, sweet. Uh, and, you know, it was the return of Dak Prescott and the Lions or the, the Cowboys did have a convincing win. But as much as Prescott's numbers looked good at the end of the day, he didn't seem all that sharp. He looked a little bit rusty. Like, where is there's so many people asking questions about quarterbacks right now? Like, are they good? I mean, I would say the same for <laughs> Justin Herbert. People are like, is wait, yeah. is he good? Like, is Dak Prescott good like he's better than Cooper Rush I think but is he good yeah. you always have these rusty series uh for for Prescott and they, the, the first three series of that game were rusty series and they and they happen from time to time I, I think we asked the wrong questions like good not good elite not elite where there's you should be asking what are the attributes what are the real strengths and the real weaknesses and uh, that's inconsistent but his highs are gloriously high he's up there you know, a couple games a year in the stratosphere of the top quarterbacks. And, you know, he, he adds the mobility to it and he gives you a full open offense. And those are the strengths that Prescott gives. So that's what the Cowboys get there. You mentioned Herbert. Herbert's problem right now, first of all, he's got an injury, so he can't drive the ball downfield. Secondly, they've got two rookies on their offensive line. Thirdly, they haven't had Keenan Allen for weeks. So when you say, what's wrong with Justin Herbert, there's usually an explanation for it. So that's how you approach things like that. As for the Cowboys, this is a team with a, you know that, that's playoff bound and they're trending in the right direction. And it's not just because they beat the lowly Detroit Lions this week. We're speaking to Mike Tannier, our NFL insider from Football Outsiders here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. We talked about Tom Brady's struggles uh, with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. You know, another future Hall of Famer, Aaron Rodgers. More struggles with the Green Bay Packers. They lose to the Commanders in Washington. And Taylor Heineke, who's back. Yes, it's Heineke time. Back again. Every time that the Packers lose, I find myself drawn to Aaron Rodgers' postgame press conference because it seems like everything that he says is a cryptic subtweet of either (laughs) Matt LaFleur or Brian Gutenkust. There's just always there's always this subtle dig about everything that's going on or his receivers. And it's kind of become must-watch television because you look at the standings now, they're losing way more games than they're winning. They're at three and four now. And I feel like maybe there's not necessarily a breaking point on the horizon, but I'm just not sure that, like we've seen in the past, the Packers and Rodgers are just going to snap their fingers, flip the switch, and then be that automatic playoff team that we're so used to. Yeah, there's no wide receiver that's come to kind of go in and be the good wide receiver for them. Right, right. I don't see OBJ signing with them. And, you know, Sammy Watkins is, hey, it's not 2015 anymore, people. It's time to move on from thinking Sammy Watkins is going to really be a factor. And that's the problem with this team. So in the past, the Packers, well, they'd wait for Aaron Rodgers to blow up, and that might not happen. They wait for their defense to fix things. Well, the defense is limited. You know, it's not a terrible defense, but it's not this top five unit. You look at the personnel, and they don't have the personnel to consistently beat better opponents. They struggle to put away teams like the Commanders and, and fire high Heineke. Then you look at the special teams. and They had a bunch of block kicks a couple of weeks ago. Uh, a Mary Rogers block, uh, muffs a punt this week. So they don't get the bottom of the roster doesn't come through for them in part because so much money is invested at the top of the roster. So you put all those together and you say, who's going to save this team? And there's no savior coming through the door. Even if Rogers shows up uh, at the, uh, at, at his press conferences, dressed like a GI Joe character, uh, <laughs> trying to uh, cosplay the Dalai Lama. So that's, that's what you get with this team. But are they a playoff team? Again, you have to sing with the Buccaneers, the 49ers, the Packers, it's the NFC. Somebody's going to fall off the track. The Falcons are going to fall off the track. 
and there's going to be wild card spots for these teams, and the Packers are probably going to be one of those teams that earns one of those wild cards. There were quite a few Packers fans at that game, which was weird because it was a home game for the Washington Commanders. Uh, there were chants of sell the team early yeah. on in that game. Um, I don't know if Jim Ursay was leading that chant, but do you think the NFL owners are going to be able to force Dan Snyder out? This is a pretty major and interesting story going on right now. By the way, if Jim Ursay led that chant, it would be to the tune of a Grateful Dead song. So we know that that wasn't the case at all. But, you know, it's it's interesting to speculate about. And, and as somebody who thinks Dan Snyder is, is, a, is a terrible person who has no business you know, running an organization, I would love to see him ousted. The reality is it takes 24 of 32 owners. So you have 24 of 32 owners have to agree to this, and they're all going to look at each other and they're going to say, do we want to set this precedent? We have never set this precedent before. If we do this, will everyone turn on me next, you know, for this or for that or for the other thing? And you have a lot of billion, billionaires who don't want to set the precedent. So what we will probably see in the months to come, because this is going to develop, is Snyder giving his fellow owners another out of saying, I'm transferring control to my children something along the lines of that where everyone gets to save face and the Jim Arceys get to rattle their sabers and look like Mavericks and all, but everyone walks away from it. I don't like it, but that's the nature of billionaires in America in a business like this is that they close ranks when they need to close ranks. Finally, Mike, before we let you go, Monday Night Football, it is a football game. I'll give it that. It's the Patriots and it's the Bears. (laughs) Give me a reason to be compelled by this tonight because the Canucks are playing this evening, and I'm sure you haven't been paying too much attention, but the Canucks season is only six six games old, and it's a tire fire, so I need the potential to jump around on television tonight in the event that it goes badly. This is the Monday night edition of Thursday Night Football. So, I mean, if the Canucks were good, I would say go with that. Otherwise, you know, you have this Bailey Zappy Mac Jones quarterback controversy that goes on only in the minds of Patriots fans. The rest of us have this figured out, but they're, they're so desperate to find the next Tom Brady that they're losing their minds. I think Jones gets the start tonight. I think that's official right now. And if he were to slip a little bit, and you know, the Bears' defense is still pretty good, if he were to slip a little bit, you would get like a brouhaha coming out of Boston saying, oh, we got to get Zappy in there. He's the real chosen one. So if that floats your boat, this will be a fun game. If scrambling floats your boat, that's a fun game. Otherwise, hey, watch hockey. (laughs) Mike, thanks, bud. Appreciate it. Have a good one. Enjoy the rest of the week. We'll do this again next Monday. You got it. Take care. Enjoy your week. You too. Thanks. Mike Tannier, our NFL insider from Football Outsiders here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650, presentation of the Clayton Public House. So I'm looking at the uh, playoff standings in the NFC, and it is so weird. Like you got the Eagles at six and zero, the Vikings at five and one, the Seahawks at four and three. Tampa Bay is technically in a playoff spot at three and four. That division stinks because they're leading their terrible division. Look at the Carolina Panthers; they're one game out of first place. And then you've yeah, <laughs> and then you've got the the wild card teams. The Giants at six and one, and they're a wild card because the Eagles are six and zero. Oh. Mm-hmm. Uh, another NFC East team, the Dallas Cowboys at five and two, and then the Rams at three and three. Yeah, and you're sitting there going, you know, like I have pretty serious doubts about every one of these teams, right? Like the the, the Eagles, I think are they're good through seven weeks. 
you have a very clear understanding that the NFC was nowhere nearly as good as we thought it was going to be going into the season. Mm -hmm. Because remember, even within the division, you had the the NFC West. I'm talking Seahawks here. Yep. The defending Super Bowl champions who have looked nowhere near as good as they did last year, right? Yep. That's That's the LA Rams. You had a team that went to the NFC Championship in the San Francisco 49ers who lost their starting quarterback in week one and have not looked good as well. So that's just within the division. Two teams that you thought were almost – I mean, I would have said at the beginning of the year that the Rams and 49ers were locks to make the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Me too. But, lo and behold, we're not there. Now, go outside the division. You would have said going into this year that the Packers and the Buccaneers were going to be better than the Seahawks. <laughs> They're not. <laughs> They're just really not. Two Hall of Fame quarterbacks that are not enjoying life right now. So I've just named four teams – right off the top of my head that you automatically placed ahead of the Seahawks in the conference and they're all below right now. Mm -hmm. And then go down. I mean, some of these other teams, yes, Philly's been better than expected. Yes. The giants have been better than expected, but I mean, just look around the NFC South is a train wreck of a division. The NFC North has two teams and I'm still counting green Bay because they have Rogers, but outside of that, it's awful. I don't know what to expect from Minnesota. You could make the argument that the Seahawks are top four in the conference <laughs> easily. Maybe, maybe, maybe stretch it to top five. Yeah. But that's because the NFC is so bad. Now, if this was, like Mike said, if this was in the AFC, it wouldn't even be a conversation. Mm-hmm. The Seahawks would be scratching and clawing to barely be in the, in the wild card spot. Not with the record, just with the talent level. So, again, coming up for the Seattle Seahawks, three games before their bye week, and they're all intriguing matchups. Because you got the New York Giants at six and one coming to Seattle. The Seahawks are a two and a half point favorite in this one. I think even the odds makers are looking at that Giants team and going, "Yeah, they're six and one, but look at how they've won the games. Are they actually a good team?" Tebow Mania two point according <laughs> to our boy Tannier. Uh, and then you've got a trip down to Arizona to play a Cardinals team that has just been off. You're, you just beat them two weeks ago. You just beat them nineteen nine. So maybe that's when it's going to be tough to win on the road, tough to beat the Cardinals twice in a season. But, you know, the Cardinals aren't aren't a great team right now. You wonder about their head coach there. You wonder about the, the quarterback for sure. Um, and then you've got this trip to Germany to play a game that I think most of us would have assumed would have been an automatic loss for the Seahawks when we originally looked at this schedule against Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But the Buccaneers don't look very good. Seahawks are going to be favored in that one, too, I would imagine. Mm, we'll see. Lots going to we'll need see. to change in a we'll week, see. but I'm ready to make that prediction. Uh, okay, so coming up on the Halford & Brough Show on Sportsnet 650, it's been a big show, right? First hour, all Canucks, a lot of venting, a lot of frustration. Great conversation with Tanier there, NFL. We're going to shift back into the NHL, and it's going to pertain to the Canucks, but it has to do with tonight's opponent. The Carolina Hurricanes joining us is the president and general manager of the Carolina Hurricanes, Don Waddell. He's coming up next. You're not going to want to miss it. It's going to be a great interview. I promise. Stick around. Keep it on the dial. You're listening to the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. There was lots of viral videos going around of city workers greasing their poles. Lunch, Lady Doris. Have you got any grease? Yes. Yes, we do. Then grease me up, woman. Okie dokie. Time now for Sportsnet 650 traffic from the City News 1130 Airport. Haynes will get it up for Svechnikov. He's got a seam. The point of four and he'll score! Oh, that 
the magic, Andrei Svechnikov. He stays red hot. 7.32 on a Monday. Happy Monday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford and Bruff in the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are also brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. The Canucks are back in action tonight, 7.30. Note the start time. We are giving away two pairs of tickets to see the game tonight. If you want them, text the What We Learned into 650-650. That is the Dunbar Lumber text line. What did you learn over the last 72 hours in sports? And please add a ticket emoji to your text. We mentioned tonight's opponent, the Carolina Hurricanes. Joining us now on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650, the president and general manager of those Hurricanes, Don Waddell, here on the program. Good morning, Don. How are you? I'm great, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for taking the time to do this. We appreciate it. So uh, it was a good start to the season for the Canes, three consecutive victories. Uh, Alberta, a tough one so far, a loss to Edmonton, an overtime loss to Calgary on the weekend. But we kind of wanted to start here, not necessarily with a season recap, Don, but more about what you guys did in the offseason because this is a team in Carolina. They've been knocking on the door in the playoffs, second round of the playoffs the last two years. Uh, what did you feel the group needed to do to get over that hump and how did you guys go about getting it? Well, we set out with a mission in the summertime, as everybody does. You, know, you put your plan together. Sometimes they come together pretty well, and other times uh, they don't. But this year we felt that uh, with the, the players we have, particularly the young players uh, that we have on our hockey club that are taking that next step, that we wanted to add a little more veteran presence uh, with our young group. You know, Jordan Stahl has been here, and he's our captain, does a great job leading. But we just felt that we needed a little bit more of that experience uh, as we move forward. And, you know, we went in with the, the plan and, and came out, obviously, with some what we think are some good players. Uh, and, unfortunately, one of the guys, Patrick got hurt uh, working out in the summertime, so he's probably – sometime January or February before we see him back. And then, you know, we were able to uh, sign Stastny after that. And, of course, we had Brett Burns earlier in the summer. So um, I think we've done what we want, and you're always looking to make your team better, that's for sure. That's the goals of GM every day is how do I make my team better? And so you're always looking around for it. Uh, how important is it or was it to keep some financial flexibility to take advantage of things when the market presents them? Because, you know, you added some guys in Pacioretty and Burns in particular that came with fairly high price tags just in terms of the salary, but you didn't have to give up a ton of assets to get them in the door. You just needed the space to be able to add them to the group. So how important is it to have financial flexibility really at all times to make sure that when something happens, you can pounce on it? Yeah, you know, we started this, you know, obviously a few years ago when we knew the cap was going to be uh, going, you know, we, we all knew it was going to be 82.5 this year as, after 81.5. And so we started planning and, you know, we said, you know, uh, cap's going to be uh, having that cap uh, space is going to be more valuable uh, as t time goes on, particularly this last summer. So we really uh, made a, a a commitment not to get locked into too many long-term deals that were going to uh, affect that. You know, obviously we wanted to sign all our young players. Uh, we do believe in getting our players signed for long-term, which we have for the most part. 
but leaving that flexibility we thought was going to help us and you know it proved out this summer you know we did try to keep a couple of the guys that we had last year and it didn't work out and uh you know so that's where we we're able to go out and get a brett burns and get a patch ready because we had that cap space Kind of continuing on on the subject, uh, you guys don't have a ton of long-term commitments to your players. As you mentioned, you got Svechnikov and Kokinemi, uh signed long-term, but they're in their early 20s. So by the time those contracts expire, I guess they'll still be in their 20s or just barely 30. Um, is that by design? Yeah. I think, again, leaving yourself some flexibility as you're moving forward, um, you know, we'll have some guys coming up here in the near future, uh, you know, the Ajos and Slavens that uh, uh, we'll have to make longer-term commitments to at that point. But, you know, we've, we've been careful as far as uh, getting locked into too many long-term deals. And, you know, sometimes that works for you, sometimes it works against you that, you know, players get a choice and, you know, they choose to go someplace else. And, you know, you can't, you can't cry about it. you got to pick up where you are and, and just make sure you have a plan moving forward. Is that one of the toughest decisions for an NHL general manager in, in the salary cap era? Um, you've got, let's say, a pending unrestricted free agent. You really like that player. You'd like to keep that player. But you look at their age. You look at what they can get in free agency, and they know what they can get in free agency. And you have this really tough decision about whether to keep this player that you really like or maybe you have to move on and try and find an alternative. Yeah, I think it comes down to each individual player you're dealing with. But, you know, we've walked away from some pretty good players uh, uh, so far. And, you know, it hurts you uh, initially. But, you know, again, having that flexibility uh, in today's cap world uh, can pay off for you. But, you know, it's it, I think each individual player, you know, you got some players that when they reach that, 28, 29, you, you know they're going to be good for the next six or seven years and other guys that you worry about three years down to it. And, you know, that's the ones that we've tried to stay away from. And, you know, we're not always going to be right. We're going to lose some good players. We're going to sign some players probably that uh, contracts you don't like maybe at some point. But, you know, you try to, you know, we're, we're big on the analytics here. We believe in uh, what the numbers uh, prove out and so again I think you know each individual player is going to be different and uh, how valuable they are to your team and you know at some point you got to make it a, that tough decision. We're speaking with Don Waddell president and general manager of the Carolina Hurricanes you know as we're having this conversation I'm reminded that your first management job was an assistant general manager with the Detroit Red Wings back in 97-98 just a ridiculously talented roster and you guys had a big budget to play with and no salary cap you're just like is he good is he going to go in the Hall of Fame let's sign that guy Uh, now you're managing the Carolina Hurricanes and there's a hard cap just how fundamentally different is the process of building a winning team today compared to the days when you were starting out in NHL management and the big spenders could really bully the rest of the league? Yeah, there's no doubt about it. I mean, the salary cap has been uh, the savior for the NHL as a whole. You know, some teams would like to spend more and, and a lot of teams, uh, you know, because of the finance financial side of things, you know, uh, have to spend less. You know, it was different, obviously, without the cap, where you just you always went out and try to get the best player, and you know, if you end up with a hundred million dollar payroll back in the '90s, you know, it was the and your 
revenues could support it, you just went ahead and did it. And today's day, that's that's where you know the young players come in and league drafting and developing your players is going to be critical for every franchise because we're going to need to have if you're going to keep your your stars and keep players uh, you know longer term, you're going to always need to be able to bring in uh, entry level players into your system because you're going to need it for cap purposes if you want to be a good hockey club. What is Tom Dundon? like to work for um we we've we've talked about him a little bit on the show but we've never spoken with him personally um it's been said you know that he marches to his own drum that he's very much um maybe even not a typical uh professional sports owner what's tom dundon like Uh, that's a good way to put it uh very very successful business person obviously um and uh you know he looks at things differently and when he first came in here you know, we were uh, doing some things that probably people are shaking their heads. What, what the heck are they doing? But uh, Tom is uh, very, very passionate about the team, wants to win. Uh, obviously, we were a cap team. We're over the cap with the uh, LTI guys, uh, Gardner in particular. Um, so he's, he's definitely uh, put put his money up and committed that way. He just He just – he watches everything. Um, he loves to watch our prospects. He loves to watch our farm team. Um, you know, of course, our NHL team on a regular basis. So, you know, he's. Uh, you know, I talk to Tom six, seven, eight times a day. And just, uh, <laughs> wow. Yeah, and, you know, because I run the business side here too. So yeah, right. We got a lot going on between the business and the hockey team. But um, no, very engaging. He's. What what he came across initially, I think people, you know, he did some interviews and the way he was thinking, you know, most hockey people in the past haven't thought that way. And I think the world has changed. I think ownership has changed in a lot of ways. Um, but the one thing that uh, he's he's good to work for because there's no there's no hidden agendas ever. You know, it's just what, what do we got to deal with today and good and bad and, you know, put it on the table and figure out what the solution is for it. Uh, Don, Eric Tulski is a guy that works with you. He's an assistant general manager, and I always enjoy reading his bio. I'm going to read it right now because it is very <laughs> unlike a traditional hockey person. Um, this is right from the, the Carolina Hurricanes website. Eric Tulski holds a BA in chemistry and physics from Harvard University and a PhD in chemistry from Berkeley. He also conducted a two-year postdoctoral study at the Naval Research Laboratory in Washington, D.C. He worked in high-tech for 12 years, managing teams of researchers focused on using nanotechnology to solve problems in DNA sequencing, solar energy displays, and energy storage. He holds 19 U.S. patents. How the heck are you working with a guy like this, Don? Well, I always say to Eric, okay, now that you've said this, Tell me it in my language so I can understand it. Um, probably the smartest guy, I, the smartest guy I have ever been around, and uh, very, very, uh, he's a, a good person, a great worker. Comes up with ideas all the time. You know, it's we have a lot of fun throwing ideas across the, the whiteboard, and uh, he's just, uh, you know, from analytics to our, you know, we've ramped up our whole department. I think we have five or six people on the hockey side, and. Eric leads that charge, so um, I think where it's really helped us too is, you know, not only drafting but helping our young kids 
uh, take that next step, you know, the, trying to come up with a whole development plan. And we do that with our development staff along with analytics to try to, where, where do we really need to focus for this player? And, you know, you draft a player when he's 18 and, and you know, he may not ever become an NHL player, but we want to make sure we do everything that we can do to put that player in the best position to be able to take that next step forward. So how does Eric help out with that? Because I think some people might have the assumption that, well, he's an analytics guy, so he's spending all day in front of spreadsheets. No, not at all. I mean, certainly, um, you know, we've created our, you know, we've done our own scouting program here. We've written all our own programs uh, that we work with uh, and, you know, every day it's it's something new. You know, we're looking, you know, right now at you know all the defensemen that are going to be out there. That, you know, and and, and like I say, analytics isn't going to drive the decision, but it's going to support the decision, and it's not going to uh, necessarily uh, uh, stop you from signing a player, but it's certainly going to put some red flags if the analytics show that the player is. Uh, uh, where where's where he's headed or where he's been and where he's headed. But with Eric, you know, he he, he knows the game of hockey. He's been around it uh, long enough now, and he understands that you know so what the coaches see sometimes can be different than what he sees, and that's why we try to spend a lot of time in the off season with the coaches and all that with the uh, the whole department. So that if there is if there's something that doesn't feel good or doesn't look good, let, let's find out why why it's looking this way or why it's not looking this way from the human eye and then compare it to what we do from an analytic standpoint. So there, it's always a work in progress. We, we always feel like we, every day we want to get better at it, uh, help, help our process. Uh, but as we all know, there's still the human side to our game. And uh, so you try to match those two uh, together and come out with the, the best results you can. Um, you know, you mentioned this earlier, and I think you might answer the question in part, talking about, you know, your role on the business side of things as president, as well as being the general manager. How much time do you spend on the business side of things? Because here in Vancouver, we just watched Jim Rutherford, who I, you know, obviously quite well, uh, built out a very uh, full executive group with a lot of different, you know, assistant man- general managers and everything else along the board, there's a really robust group here uh, with you doing this sort of dual role thing. How much time do you have to spend on the business side of things? Or are you just a really busy guy who's working all the time and talking to his yeah. owner six to eight times a, year, a day? Yeah. Uh, I, I love the work. I love what I do. I love both sides of this. Uh, they have to, you know, the, the, the good thing about uh, having both titles is there's not anything that we can't do. You know, the, the hockey team doesn't, you know, if we're going to do some kind of uh, signing or with our season ticket holders and, and things like that, you know, there's only one person that has to say yes, and I can say yes for both sides. But, you know, I enjoy the business side of it. It's, it's busy right now. Uh, uh, more on the business side, you know, our team is uh, put together. We're rolling along right now. And, um, you know, you're always looking for ways to create more revenue. You know, we've been fortunate. You know, we took a season ticket base from – around 5,000 to almost 14,000 this year. Uh, so the business side is in much better shape. We're in the process of negotiating a new TV deal. and There's always something going on, but uh, no, this is my life, and I'm fortunate that uh, I'm involved in this game for so long and get to continue to do it at this uh, level. you got an outdoor game coming up in February yeah. as well at NC State's football stadium. Do you expect to sell that game out? Hundred percent. We we 
Now, the league initially gave us uh, 18,650 seats because that's what we hold for a regular game, and we sold that in three hours. And so then we got another 12,000 from the league and sold that out in 24 hours. Um, I believe we're going on sale Thursday with uh, what's remaining because after you get through, you know, the visiting team takes their tickets. The university got a, a share of tickets, and I think we're going on sale with uh, – 2,500 to 3,000 tickets this week, so 100% it's going to be sold out. Uh, before we let you go, I did. Jason and I were talking about this earlier. Is if you go back over your CV and your resume, you've got a really interesting career, but you also spent a lot of time in, I would classify them as non-traditional hockey hotbeds, Atlanta, and then Carolina. Now, the Atlanta situation obviously played out the way that it did. Carolina has become much more successful and robust. But, I mean, in Atlanta, you ran the gamut there. You did everything, including coaching for a while. So what's it been like in two situations that, you know, I think to the outsiders would be like Atlanta and Carolina, kind of similar. But they both obviously played out in far different directions and trajectories. Yeah, you know, we went through it in Atlanta, you know, uh, Started off, the franchise was owned by Ted Turner, and then it got sold to AOL, and then it got spun off. And you know, we had some ownership issues, very well documented, with nine owners in Atlanta. And eventually, they uh, decided to sell the hockey team, and then eventually sold the Hawks too, because they had the Hawks and then the arena and the team. So, uh, dealing with the board, and, and you know, here, even when I came in here, it was one guy it was Pete Carmanis that hired me here, and now it's Tom Dunnan. So. Decisions are made uh, very quickly and easy here, easier today than it was uh, back in those days. And, you know, I throw something out there, and if I get the yes or, you know, we move forward and do it. But I also think, you know, it's the commitment from the ownership. I go back to, to Tom on this. You know, we were – I went in, in Atlanta. was always spending the least amount of money as you can spend. And with Tom, it's – we know we're going to be a cap team every year, so you can plan a little bit better knowing that – you know, you're going to be a cap team, and uh, so it makes your off season when you're going into it. You got to juggle, obviously, the the cap, but you know you're going to be able to spend the dollars that uh, that are out there to be spent under the CBA. I forgot about that. It was it the Atlanta Spirit Group? Nine owners. Oh yeah, the, yeah. Well, it was interesting from the Canadian perspective. It was less about Atlanta and more about Winnipeg, yeah. right? When we were yeah. talking about it. Yeah. Uh, yep. Don, thanks for joining us today. This was a great chat. Oh, anytime, guys. Enjoyed it. Thank Th- you. Thank you. Appreciate it. That's Don Waddell, the president and general manager of the Carolina Hurricanes here in the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Carolina, of course, taking on the Vancouver Canucks tonight, 7.30. Note the start time at Rogers Arena. I believe it's a 7.30 start because Pittsburgh is in Edmonton for the first of a double dip tonight. So Carolina is an interesting franchise in that they clearly don't do things by the book. They don't do them just because... They've been done before by NHL teams. They don't play by your rules. They don't play by your rules. They're the bad boy. I don't know. I'm not going to color inside the lines. You can't tell me to do that. They've got a owner who, again, the way it's been phrased is kind of marches to the beat of his own drum, and Don Waddell agreed with that assessment. Um, they've got guys like Eric Tolsky working for them. Eric Tolsky actually interviewed with Chicago for their yes. vacant GM position. So he's a guy that might one day become – the general manager of another team. Um, it's also possible maybe that uh, he becomes the general manager of the Carolina Hurricanes and Don Waddell just focuses on the presidency role considering all the business issues that they've got to deal with. Um, we didn't want to get into this nitty-gritty with Don for a Vancouver market, but 
they've got to hammer out a long-term lease at PNC Arena because they want to get that lease done so that yeah. they can de- develop a, a bunch of the real estate around the arena. But um, they are an interesting franchise. You know, some people will push back and say, wow, you're throwing roses at this Carolina Hurricanes team that what hasn't been out of the second round. But I think the way they play, um, the way they manage their salary cap – in some ways, or in, perhaps in many ways, could be contrasted with the way the Vancouver Canucks manage their salary cap and all the long-term commitments that the Canucks have taken on, either outright signings or traded for them. In the case of Oliver ekman Larson, for players that are getting a little bit older, that's not something they like to do in Carolina. And they've walked away some pretty, from, from some pretty good players, and well, they've remained say, they've remained a competitive hockey team. I was just going to say, I think I having read a bunch last night about Dundon and their approach, the man does not like um, – financial uncertainty year to year like he does he wants to have uh, a very clear understanding of fixed cost and I think most importantly one of the organizations that truly not just understands but embraces what the aging curve is all about Mm -hmm. because they walked away from Dougie Hamilton when he was maybe their best defenseman and all signs would have pointed to giving him that long-term extension when he was on the verge of free agency. But they had, and their plan of attack was pretty simple. We have a very fixed number, both in terms of term and yep. money, that we're going to present to you. That is not going to change. And they gave him the opportunity to go test free agency and said, this, this deal will be here for you, mm-hmm. but it's got to be on our terms, not yours. It's almost as if there wasn't really a negotiation. There was an understanding that we're here and we're not moving off that. And that's not to say they don't understand the importance of veteran players because it was the first thing that Don Waddell said that they needed to add. But the way they added them was very different from the traditional route. Paul Stasny, they got him on a bargain, one-year deal. Max Pacioretty, he's only got one year left on his contract, and he was free. He was a salary cap dump. And Brent Burns, although... He's got three years left on that deal. I think the Sharks might have retained the Sharks retained some salary, so his cap hit is only five point three million dollars. Yeah, they, re- they retained thirty five percent, I think, because he's an eight million dollar cap hit. And the the interesting thing that they've done philosophically is acknowledge that acquiring veterans and those experienced guys that they talk about can come in many ways and shapes and forms. The traditional model, and I mean, we saw this in Vancouver, unfortunately when they sign guys like Roussel and Beagle and everybody else, but there can be some inefficient contracts that can be efficient for you, if that makes sense. So for San Jose, the Burns contract didn't make any sense. They're going nowhere. They're one of the worst teams in the NHL. Paying him the amount of money that they were paying him to do the things that he did on that team made no sense. But for Carolina, it made sense. The key to all of this is you have to allow yourself to exist with flexibility to pounce on something when the opportunity arises. So in this instance, it was Burns and Pacioretty in one off season, right? Mike Greer comes into San Jose, takes over from Doug Wilson. He's like, "What's been going on here? I got to get rid of half these guys, <laughs> right?" If, if, but if Doug Wilson signing the, all these old guys to long term contracts, but if Doug Wilson's on the job for another year, maybe that opportunity doesn't present itself until next off season. Who no. knows, right? But things unfolded. Uh, the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, you know, you look at that team and you're like, you just wait and wait and wait until something shakes loose because, well, now we've got Jack Eichel in the fold and we're in cap hell. We need to 
Get rid of Max Pacioretty, who, by the way, you traded Nick Suzuki to get in the first place. Like, you just wait and wait and wait. While you're waiting, you have to have a competitive group on the ice. And that's kind of their blueprint. Is it's We're going to keep this team competitive, and they're going to make the playoffs, and then when we have an opportunity to pounce on something, we go out. And I mean, in one offseason, a second-round appearance in the playoffs, and the team adds Stastny, Pacioretty, and Burns, and mm-hmm. has the financial flexibility to do it. It might not work. But they're giving themselves a shot every year. Uh, you're listening to the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. We got a question in: Are you guys giving away Canucks tickets at all? Oh yeah, we are. We're giving away two pairs of Canucks tickets for tonight's game against the Carolina Hurricanes. Uh, text in your best what we learn and attach a ticket emoji or hashtag tickets just to know to let us know that you actually want these tickets and that you can use these tickets. Uh, we'll read your what we learns at around 8.30, which is the final segment of the Halford and Bruff Show in the second to last segment of the Halford and Bruff Show, and that's coming up next. Ian McIntyre will join us to talk about this disastrous start for the Vancouver Canucks.